Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And uh, things are back to normal, I guess. It's uh, it's 2019 mm-hmm. for real now. Yeah. This is the... And we say back I, to normal, what do you mean? I guess the last Movie Journal we did oh, yes, was yes. Okay. still featured so much of us polishing off 2018 right it really takes until march for 2019 to start Mm -hmm. um and start it has oh wait no hang on i was i can't transition into the first film Uh, no we have to we have to uh tell us tell the uh no that's we pay the bills on the main episode right on the movie journal you tell the listeners by whom this episode is brought to them right yes okay yes no this money you know, we're like Jay Leno. We don't touch our mini flicks money. You know? uh, okay, so it's just for a rainy day. Uh, so, yes, this episode is brought to you by Miniflix, the premier streaming site for award-winning short films. Miniflix acquires short films that have premiered at Cannes, Sundance, TIFF, and many more, meaning you can see great short films available nowhere else online. Miniflix also offers several Oscar-nominated and Oscar-winning short films unavailable on typical free video platforms. Now, along with these great short films, Miniflix also has a blog feature- featuring editorials and interviews. Uh, this week, they feature an article about the various short films playing at this year's south by southwest or david south by as i call yeah. it you know because i'm in the know and i'm hip uh but yeah so if you are headed to south by southwest or if you're just interested in uh short films in general check out that article uh you can sh- and other articles just go to the page for this week's movie journal episode and click on the mini flicks banner at the bottom all right Okay, let's uh, talk about some movies. Sorry, Let the was, games begin, am yeah. I right? Sorry, I was um, looking at the score of the hockey game. Oh, who's winning? Uh, it, no score. Oh. We're five minutes into the game. The The St. Louis Blues are here in Los Angeles playing the Kings at Staples Center. Okay. And I have chosen, Tyler, I've chosen you. I've chosen Battles of Pretension. I've chosen the listener over attending this game. Oh, okay. Well, I do appreciate that. I want everyone to appreciate it. All right. So instead, you're just going to churn out, I would say, subpar podcasting right, I'm by distracted. just not being, not being <laughs> present. Um, okay. So All right. So uh, what's the first movie we watched? Yes. This is, we've got an overlap. And we're we're going to kick off by talking about Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck's Captain Marvel. Indeed. Uh, we both saw this at the same time, although I didn't see you there. Did you go to the 3D? What? No, I went to the 10 a.m. Oh, that's why I yeah, didn't see So we that. did not go at the same time. They okay. had a 10 a.m. and a 7 p.m., which yeah. is strange. Um, it's increasingly common with, uh, with Disney specifically. Yeah, I guess that's it, true now that I think about it. And at least, uh, at least this time they stuck to, like, you RCP for the one you want to go to, and they say, okay. Mm-hmm. Whereas I remember with Rogue One, they were like, give us your preference. Yeah. And then I, like, and then I got assigned the 10 a.m. one. I had to kind of like rearrange my schedule yeah. just to see Rogue One. I feel like they haven't done that. I remember they, I remember them doing that for Rogue One because I went to see it as well. But I don't remember them doing that for anything like subsequently. Like I saw Last Jedi, which of course was in huge demand. But I don't remember it being this kind of weird almost a raffle situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe they got bad feedback from that one. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Um, but, uh, speaking of bad feedback, I, I was uh, disappointed <laughs> in captain Marvel. I didn't care much. Didn't care for it very much. Yeah. I feel like the Marvel movies, I mean, here, here's the thing. Like there are very few, if any of the Marvel movies that I would say are great. Yeah. I like, is like I like Avengers and I like Avengers Infinity War. Yeah. <laughs> Those I think are pretty great. Yeah. Um I'm a big I, fan of the first Iron Man. I like Captain America Civil War. Um okay. I you know what I do I think I genuinely love Doctor Strange. It, obviously it's hmm. got the same villain problem as everything else, but it just feels so fresh and creative to me. Uh and we'll get into the villain problem with Captain uh, and how it applies in Captain Mar- Marvel. Yeah. Um but, uh, so yeah, I don't think there's very few Marvel movies that I think are really great, but there's also, I haven't, there's a lot of them I haven't seen, but there's also not really any that I would say I think are terrible. Oh yeah. No. And I even Captain so. Marvel, which is, I feel like it's probably my least favorite of the ones I've seen. Okay. I don't think it's terrible. It just, I think there are certain things that you expect out of 
an MCU movie mm-hmm. that this one didn't have. If you think about the what really made Iron Man feel like its own thing, feel like a John Favreau movie, feel like uh, it was setting its own tone yeah. is the sen- a the sense of humor, but also b the fact that Tony Stark is uh, in many ways kind of a piece of shit. You know, he's he's arrogant, yeah, um, and and self centered, which usually are two things that go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's sort of uh, uh, impulsive. Mm. So these are flaws that you'll see p- pop up in. Um, in multiple of the better Marvel characters. And what's more in now, I'm not sure. uh, I know you don't keep up on comics all that much, but Mm -hmm. in the run of Captain Marvel that started in 2012, written by Kelly Sue DeConnick, which is a big part of the inspiration for this version of Captain Marvel. Certainly the look, the outfit, the suit that is very Mm -hmm. much based on the, on the 2012, uh, Captain Marvel. The fact that the idea that she has a cat, um, is, comes from, from that. Um, uh, but that version of Captain Marvel fits into this, that Carol Danvers has a real ego. Okay. And is, and, and it makes her sometimes bristly and unlikable. Right. And, there's nothing I'm not saying it needed to be a one for one, but this version of of Captain Marvel, this version of Carol Danvers feels like and not even I'm not even saying that she feels like a can do no wrong superhero either. Right. She just feels like kind of a blank slate. It feels like the movie is happening to her in a way. Oh, no question about it. Yeah, it's uh you know, talking about the villain problem, um, that's something that people have been talking about for years. But increasingly, I feel like they've they've flipped it around. I feel like the villains for the last few movies have been pretty solid. You know, you've got certainly Killmonger, Killmonger and Thanos and even like the claw character who's a supporting villain in Black Panther, but mm-hmm. still like a real sense of personality yeah. there. Thanos, obviously. Um, and but even stuff like characters like Ebony Maw, like just kind of stand out a little bit. Yeah. Where I think it's starting to go, oddly enough, I think it's actually starting to have something of a hero problem because I feel, I know that you like the Ant-Man films more than I do, but I don't get much of a sense of who Scott Lang is. Sure. Like, I, I agree with that. I like the Ant-Man movies as comedies yeah, more than and, anything else. They're, they're among the funniest of the Marvel movies. I never action, saw Red Ragnarok. And the action is, is very creative and, and delightful, so there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But like That character is really nondescript. I personally thought that the character of Black Panther was not necessarily a blank slate, and I think Chadwick Boseman brings something to him, but just, there's I don't really know what... I don't have a strong sense of what drives him. Yep, and I feel I the same with, with Carol Danvers, the, the issue. And I, and I mentioned it in my review cause I don't want to get like overly political, but there, the last few years there's been kind of this, there's been, there's been this big debate and yes. And of course there are people who just on, on the extremes of each side, they're just kind of digging their heels. And thankfully the conversation has switched and it's this idea of like the strong female hero. And as time has gone on, people have understood in the same way that the strong people talk about the strong male hero. It's like strong. We're not talking about physical strength. We're not talking about ability. We actually are talking about depth of character, uh, an, an understanding of motivation. Um, and, as such, um, it would it would seem that like the writers, the many many writers of Captain Marvel, were like, oh yeah, no, we got to make Carol Danvers like she has to be uh, uh, emotional and flawed, all the stuff that people are talking about. But rather than making her emotional and flawed, they just have other people say <laughs> you're overly emotional and you're flawed. And it's like yeah. I see no hint of that in yeah. the character. Yeah, it's not Brie true. Larson's fault. I think it's I think she does a, a, as well I, as she can. I mean, we know that, that Brie Larson yeah. is talented, but I do think there's something uh, like she doesn't seem. Uh, maybe it's uh, maybe this all does go back to the script, but I did, did this did feel like an underwhelming performance from her too. I would say it's at least a little bit of her fault, <laughs> especially next to Samuel Jackson, who's probably the probably the best part of the movie. I think for so. Me. Yeah, uh, Ben Mendelsohn's also uh, pretty good. Yeah, but um, well, speaking of the the villain thing, 
uh, and I don't want to get I know people haven't seen the movie yet, so I don't want to get too into spoilers here, but I, right, think, I tried to avoid it um, completely, but okay, we can cut this out if this is a spoiler, okay. but people knew that Lee Pace was going to be back. In oh this yeah. Movie. Absolutely. Okay. So I had this thing where it was like, Oh, cool like just like we're gonna see we're gonna learn more about who nick fury was yeah i was like cool ronan the accuser was such a boring villain maybe we'll get some more fle- fleshing out of him no, no it's just more of the same if He's anything it's negative yeah. it's we we know less about him um yeah. yeah and you know what this idea that you were talking about like the the sense of going back to like iron man the sense of humor of the film and then the nature of who Tony Stark is, those two, those two things go together very, very well. And in a way, the, the film almost takes its, its uh, cues from the character. And then that sort, of set, that sort of set the standard as far as humor for the MCU in general. I don't think it always works because the main character isn't always that, and this is the best example of it. Um, I find Carol Danvers to be a pretty humorless character and yet the film still insists on being funny in the only way it can apparently which is hey remember the 90s oh yeah good god i got really i chuckled at one thing but for life me i can't even remember what it was uh yeah i don't know yeah i don't know which thing it was either uh i didn't think it was like that it uses and this is in the trailer that it's like ha blockbuster video remember that or whatever but then it's next to like it also does the same thing with radio shack yeah but radio shack like still exists there's one in north hollywood yeah (laughs) um just barely though yeah it's almost gone but i feel i I, a part of me felt bad for the radio shack corporation yeah (laughs) like Like there's an executive who's super excited (laughs) to take his daughter to see captain marvel and then that happens and you just in the theater you just hear uh, <laughs> hey, but yeah, uh, it's as a movie, it's just like, yeah, I'm trying to remember if there, <laughs> there must've been some sort of nineties thing that I laughed at. Um, but I, I don't remember, you know what? The, there was a moment where they are pulling up a file on a computer See, that, and you know what? The thing is it's still done in kind of that shitty judgmental way of the past, uh-huh. but the timing of it is pretty good. Okay. And the actors seem to know how best to play it. Um, so I actually do like that specifically okay. that because it's to, taking a long time to load is the joke. Yeah, but not too long. It's taking just long enough for it to register. Certainly for us, they're like, Oh yeah, <laughs> it did take a while. Um, so like, I think it was that, but for the most part, <laughs> you know, I know that the film is politically charged because of all this stuff around it as like, Oh, it's the first female superhero in the MCU. And it's like the key is in the uh, MCU to yeah, me, but it's also, I mean, okay, it's the first, solo yeah female because Len. ant-man and yeah, the wasp obviously yeah. was the first the wasp was the first female superhero in the mcu to get her name in the title yeah yeah um, um i yeah i don't know i i i um i didn't i don't feel and maybe, I, maybe i've checked out of the conversation i don't feel like going into this weekend that there is the hope and expectation for captain marvel that there was for black panther i, I there is for some um but i also i guess bit. because i don't I'm not like a, uh, what's what I'm looking for. I'm not an acolyte of mm-hmm. the MCU over the, I feel like Wonder Woman did it so well and did it two years ago I know. that that kind of like, I guess we can to some extent a little bit more afford for Captain Marvel to suck because the Wonder Woman was so good. Oh. That seems like a shitty way to say it. I immediately sort of regret saying it, but it did. I, I, it does feel like it t- takes some of the pressure off. Obviously yeah. I'm not of the mind that, okay, we have one. We've got we our one. Move. Like yeah. I don't, I'm not, of, I'm not of that mind, but, yeah. um, I guess I, after like the Ghostbusters reboot came out and was mm. pretty lame, I thought, yeah. you know, um, I like getting to a place where we have enough movies about and uh, at least partially by women. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was directed by Patty Jenkins. This is co-directed by Anna Bowden. Yeah. Um, but we have enough that we don't need to expect all of them to be good. Just like yeah. it's okay for movies about white men to suck because we have so many movies about white right. men that there's some good ones too. Uh, so I don't, I, I don't feel the pressure on captain America, captain, captain Marvel, uh, that I did on Wonder woman or, or black Panther. Yeah. Um, so I feel less when ghostbusters was limp. Yeah. 
I felt bummed out, not just, oh, I just watched a, a C-minus movie, but also I felt bummed out because oh, the, I felt like there was so much pressure on this to be good. I, like, I, I wish it had been good yeah. more than I normally wish a movie had been good. With Captain Marvel, I didn't feel that way. It is, it is a, a bummer. It's something that I mentioned in my review, which is... <clears throat> You know, obviously there's there is a rea- there tends to be a negative reaction whenever some like a character that is male is turned female for a movie or something, or or just like oh we're doing Ghostbusters but it's an all female cast and there are people that just naturally have a knee jerk reaction even though it's not like oh they're changing Peter Venkman into a different character it's not that there's that natural knee jerk so that's one type of pressure but then there is also the type of pressure from people that are excited about it right but either right. way it's like y- you are you're piling shit onto the movie that it's not necessarily asking for and might not be able to hold up. I think like Ghostbusters is not amazing. It's it's no spy. I'll tell you that as far as like comedic, uh, Paul feed comedy. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Spy is the best uh, of, no the, question. of his movies. Um, I watched some of rewatched the second half of bridesmaids of the day. Cause it mm-hmm. happened to me on, uh, I still have so many problems with that movie. There's a lot I like about it. When it's working, it works. Yeah. But I feel like when it swings big, when it has like big, some of the big comic set pieces, obviously I don't like the food poisoning thing because yeah. it's just not my sense of humor. But then also the part where she's trying to get Chris O'Dowd's attention and she keeps driving back and forth. That yeah. feels really for really labored. But when it's stuff about more character stuff, even when it's silly character stuff, yeah. like the part when right before that, when Kristen Wiig is happy the Roseburn is crying because she's never seen her look ugly before. And mm-hmm. Roseburn is like, it's like still crying, but being like, I don't look, I, I still look pretty. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's hilarious. And I do find, I know that we tend to be a little bit, if somehow a little bit, iffy of John, of funny John Hamm. I don't know why he can be funny, but it's more just like, it's not a novelty, mm-hmm. but he can still be funny. Yeah, yeah. And as, and like when he likes just pulls into frames, like, and he goes, boom. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he goes, fuck buddy fuck. to the rescue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, we're anyway. off. We're, we're, we're way but, yeah. Track. And so it's a shame uh, that, that captain Marvel had so many expectations and such a react, such a negative reaction because just like as a movie, it is, I'd say serviceable. It is occasionally entertaining. Um, I'd say, if I'm feeling generous, I'd say it's a B minus, uh, but probably more of a C plus. I think that's, yeah, that's exactly what I said to Natalie after the movie was yeah. C plus. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, uh, yeah. I just, yeah, I felt like the, the action was, was, was a little clunky. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, obviously I, not everyone will notice, and even those who do won't be bothered by it, but I'm bothered by the uh, liberties taken with the geography of Los Angeles. Oh, I know. Although this stuff, <laughs> I believe in your in in your review, you mentioned like the the NoHo parking lot. Yeah, I like, hey, I know where that it's is. It's right off of Bellingham, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They um, use that a lot. They used it in uh, Pineapple, Pineapple Express. I never saw Pineapple Express, but the movie theater that's mm-hmm. there is in. Um, Don John, which is weird because oh, okay. that movie takes place in like New Jersey, yeah, and, mo- and I think is mostly shot. I wonder if they just picked up some stuff, yeah, uh, here. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's um, there's no elevated train line that runs through North Hollywood. That's the Green Line, uh, and that the Douglas stop where she yeah. gets on is in El Segundo. And so when she goes from the parking lot to the platform of a, uh, it was it was very jarring for me. Uh, but it no one me, else cares. It took me a while to figure out there that it took place in Los Angeles. Um, but I mean, it has the establishing like cityscape shot with like the one Wilshire. Like, I guess I wasn't paying. I wasn't really paying close attention at that moment. Um, and then it was just like, well, palm trees and all right, I think it's. I don't know. It's weird. Like I don't. I don't think of a lot of like superhero movies that take place. No, like it's, it's so New York based or um, San Francisco and Ant-Man. Yeah. And then like even, um, Iron Man has like a, or Tony Stark has like a Malibu yeah, pad, yeah. but Malibu is Malibu is its own place. Yeah. You know, uh, Sheriff Malibu is a reactionary. I've heard that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think this is the first MCU movie that I've seen. Well, yeah, yeah. MCU movie that I've seen that takes place at least partially in Los Angeles as Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else. No. Cause, uh, black Panther's got Oakland. Obviously that was a big right. one. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. and Thor's in the desert in like New Mexico. And Captain America is DC, uh, okay. very heavily DC, understandably. So, all right, well, um, this is no longer yeah. interesting to people. Well, and and it's just the frustrating thing about a, about I would say a mediocre film that has political uh, implications that it probably never. I think for. you're. I, I don't it know. I, to, I feel like you're focused on this more than. Oh, good lord! I, or more than I'm seeing in my. Twitter. I'll send you some stuff. Uh, maybe yeah, I, you. I, yeah. you don't want it. Um, but uh, <coughs> but no, it's it has kind of these and and just even if you look on Twitter, like just people are are either like pumping it up or like really pushing it down. And part of me is like, guys this movie does not deserve this level of passion on either side. <laughs> you know what I mean? But because yeah, it's, it's got bad. that other element, it's just like, no, this movie, it deserves to be forgotten. It deserves yeah. to just be another entry in the MCU. Yeah. And that's it. And it's, um, definitely a, an example of some, something we've talked about, about Marvel hiring good directors and then draining the character out of them. Cause this, yeah. you would never think this came from the people who made Mississippi grind, which is a great movie. I, I love Mississippi yeah. grind and they made uh, half Nelson, right? Half Nelson, which I haven't seen or no, which I saw. Yeah. But it's been it's a while. while, but then I never saw sugar, which is supposed to be good. I heard good things. Yeah. But no, I do really. Yeah. It's with the other, <coughs> with the other movies, you can at least, like draw a line between oh well they made the this kind of low budget mm-hmm. type of vaguely adventure type movie or thriller or something let's you know what let's give them a, a little bit of a bigger budget yeah this one i've i haven't seen sugar i saw half nelson i saw mississippi grind nowhere in those films <laughs> as much as i do like them yeah I mean, I ben mendelson's and ben mendelson i yeah, guess there's that like that's the hey we wanted ben mendelson to be a villain in this movie you have access yeah. to him do you want to direct it and then i also think one of the cree guys is the guy from sugar but oh, i never okay. saw sugar but okay. i think that's what he's from. anyway okay moving on moving on all right so maybe uh, it might be a couple things one it being full on 2019 being back to normal means I can get back to filling in blind spots, which is what I like to do, uh, with my weeknights when I don't, uh, have other things to do. Um, and so I got to do that. And maybe my opinion of Captain Marvel suffered because I immediately went home and watched what I think might be one of the, one of the greatest movies of all time that okay. I'd never seen before. It's not, it's largely considered one of the greatest movies of all time. So it's not, this isn't going to blow anybody's, uh, hair back, but I had never seen Michael Antonioni's La Ventura. Okay. Have you seen it? No. Home. Holy shit. Okay. Uh, it, it's, it's an, it's, uh, astoundingly beautiful. Um, it's full of all these great, uh, uh, actual tracking shots. I feel like the, the term tracking shot has been misused so often that I need to, I'm talking about shots where the mm-hmm. camera is actually on a dolly on a track. And so you're actually getting some, you're, you're the, the settings, especially early on, you know, that they go to this, like, uh, uh, it's like this rich group of friends who take a boat out to, um, this like Rocky Island, uninhabited Island to like, hike and swim for the day or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? And so you've got these shots on this craggy Island, but you've got these very smooth camera, you know, movements and, and, and dollies in or dolly sideways, you know, that sort of thing. Um, it really is this dreamy, beautiful black and white, gorgeous widescreen look. Um, the story of the movie, you don't know, uh, group of people go out, like I said, out to this Island. Um, two of them are, uh, engaged and the woman disappears from the island. Mm-hmm. She's. They look for her all over the island. They call in the coast guard. Whatever they think, maybe she drowned. They can't. They dredge the thing. They can't find the body. She's. She's gone. Mm-hmm. And they think because she was a bit of a like she was feeling like wishy washy about the engagement or whatever you know. So they think maybe she like ran away. So the fiance and then this girl's best friend start looking for her. And then over the course of looking for her, they sort of start to fall for each other Hmm. and their ambition and their desire to actually find her seems to drop without them. And I I kept thinking and maybe so I just finished. Well, we'll talk about it next time we do a BP uh, TV journal on Mm -hmm. the Patreon. But uh, my wife and I just finished a rewatch of The Sopranos. It's my third time watching the series all the way through. But I've seen 
this year. I've seen many of these episodes many, many times. And I kept thinking about The Sopranos while watching La Ventura. Hmm. It might be because it's an Italian movie. Right. <laughs> but also, I feel like the idea of characters making choices that are easy for them or self-serving right. and then justifying it to themselves after the fact mm. and justifying it to other people after the fact is very Sopranos. Yes. That's kind of what, that's the pattern that all, most of the characters on the Sopranos repeat over and over again over the course of the, uh, of the series. And so I, I kept thinking about how, um, uh, uh, about that sort of, it's like pessimistic yet sympathetic view of humanity. Yeah. And, um, I guess you could say clear eyed. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I, yeah, I, w- I would say that. But, and yet Antonioni's giving it to you with such beauty, which the Sopranos often did, uh, as well. Um, and, uh, there's also, I am a big fan of the fact from a genre or narrative point of view, this starts out as a very narratively driven movie mm-hmm. and then the narrative just sort of dissipates, Ooh. you know, they're looking for this the whole premise is they're looking for this, this woman who's disappeared and that becomes less and less important. But what's great about the movie is it never lets you forget that she's gone, even as they are maybe actively trying to forget and trying to not think about it. Um, it's a really emotionally complex movie and, and very powerfully beautiful. I think the only Antonioni film I've seen is blow up, which, which I haven't seen, which I didn't really love at the time, but I do find myself thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, since then, there's a kind of a oddly haunting quality to it. I saw I saw Red Desert in film school, but I think it was a class that was on the cinematography track, mm-hmm. not a class that you took. Right. Um, yeah, and I've seen some other. I have well, I the identification of a woman, which is not good, uh, okay. is one of, is one of his last ones. But that I have the Criterion disc, and then uh, I also have um, Raro Video put out uh, an early movie of his called Eventi. Uh, which I think means the vanquished. Mm-hmm. I can't remember, uh, which is actually like a, it's all directed by him, but it's like an anthology. It's mm-hmm. three, three short films. That one's really good. Uh, anyway. And then, all right, I got another one to do. Oh, and then, uh, I saw a movie that comes out in a month or so, or maybe a few weeks. I saw the new Mike Lee film, Peter Lou. Oh, okay. Uh, which is a movie about an actual event that took place in, I think, I think 1815 in uh, Manchester, England, where there was um, a demonstration by a, uh, I guess, this is early industrial evolution. It'd be, it, it's, uh, they're basically people protesting in favor of labor rights. It's not, unions are, it's too early for unions, but it's mm-hmm. more about um, representation and the idea that most of these poor uh, laborers at this time in, in England don't have the right to vote. Mm -hmm. And so they're, uh, um, fighting for, uh, one man, one vote. Um, that's their whole thing. And, uh, there was a big demonstration in St. Peter's square. Uh, I think it's called St. Peter's field. Maybe it's called, but it's a square. Um, and, uh, and there was a massacre. The, uh, local uh, yeomanry, I guess they call them, and then also some of the king's army sort of started trying to disperse the crowd, and then ended up just killing a bunch of them. Hmm. Um, uh, and the the movie that massacre takes up a little less than ha- half hour of the movie. The movie is over two and a half hours long. Hmm. This is not a complaint, to be clear. <laughs> Uh, this is mostly a movie about speeches. Every scene sort of centers around one character or another, or another orating hmm. and making their points, you know, making their declarations about what they believe and what they think is right. And what, and, uh, uh, and I think kind of the irony of it is that the thing that we're all, that we're building up to this big speech by this big, um, uh, guy who I guess was sort of a famous, uh, activist, uh, played by Rory, Rory Kinnear. Mm-hmm. Um, when it actually comes to it, like the speech isn't what we remember. We remember the, <laughs> so after two plus hours of people bloviating, it suddenly doesn't matter anymore. And it's this 
honestly pretty horrific uh, massacre sequence. Not the kind of thing I think of Mike Lee making, you know. Right. Um, yeah. But he does, he does a good job. The only th- my only thing, so I think the movies in because it's so well acted and so well written, the speeches are so fun to listen to. Uh, even at two and a half hours, it's always very engaging. But I do think that there's a little bit of um, uh, self-righteousness. And it's it's the sort of thing, not to the extent, I, I don't want to compare every movie like this to Vice, because Vice is a particularly bad uh, mm-hmm. movie. But the idea of a movie that it's like, no, I'm, I'm with you. I agree with what right. you're saying, but... I'm put off by how smug you're being about it. And I think like the, the people who do hold the, the aristocracy and the nobles, the people who do the, 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 the governors and stuff, people who do hold the power, um, are so self evidently full of shit yeah. and self-serving and, uh, cruel and callous and ignorant that it's, it just, uh, it becomes uninteresting after a while. Yeah. There's a, I was watching an episode of community, uh, recently and there's an episode where the Brita character played by, uh, Gillian Jacobs is cause she's sort of an activist. And so there is a big oil spill. And so she's holding, uh, a fundraising, um, event and the whole time she's like yelling, like we can't, we don't want this, you know, and, and, and somebody, somebody from the crowd yells, you don't have to yell. Nobody is on the other side of this. We are all with you. Um, and it's, it, it sounded about right. There are people who their passion is fine, but don't seem to realize like, yeah, no, you're very much, yeah. not merely are you on the like right side of history to use that term, but like everyone agrees with you. Yeah. You know, there is no wrong side here because no one is on it. Um, the, uh, so yeah, the cast appeal is very good. There's one actor that I, that stands out to me. Do you know the character actor, Carl Johnson? Oh yeah. This guy, he's so great. Yeah. Um, and I remember thinking, he was in hot fuzz. He was in hot fuzz. He was also on the first season of HBO's Rome. Oh, he sure was. Which is what I kept thinking. The fact that, so I looked it up. He's like 71, I think 70, 71. Oh, wow. Really? I would, and I would like Rome is over a decade ago and I would have thought his character was 85 in that movie. Um, he's always seemed, I guess, uh, uh, but when you talk talk about character actors, he's he's, also in the death of Stalin and does a good job there. Uh, Oh, who was he in that? He's one of the doctors that they call in. Oh, okay. Who is terrified to give his diagnosis because he thinks he's going to be shot. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Uh, yeah, he's great. Um, mm. but yeah, talk about the, just the term character actor. This is a guy who's oh, yeah. just, his face has a lot of character. That's, that's definitely for sure. All right. What did you watch? So, okay. Uh, David, as you know, so I, one thing I know about you is the movie you've seen more than any other is Die Hard. Uh-huh. Okay. Mine is Jaws. But if there's any movie, doesn't it is, feel like it should like, do you ever feel like, yeah, like, I wish it were like Hiroshima Mon Amour or something. Like, I sure. It could I, be that kind of, <laughs> I wish that, but when it comes right down to it, like jaws, I think in both cases it's, it's, and this is probably true for most people, uh, most film fans is that the movie they've seen the most is the one that probably bridges that, that gap hmm. because it's a movie you probably started watching before you were into movies. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I then was, you kept yeah. watching it once you had an appreciation for movies and just, I re- realized just how brilliant it is. But if there's any film that is going to give jaws a run for its money, it is a very similar type of movie, uh, which is alien. Hmm. Um, I watched it twice this week because I'm teaching two sections of the same class that here's the thing. Uh, they're on a different schedule. One is 16 weeks, one is 12. And so I had to sort of rearrange some things, but the, the classes finally caught up to each other this week. So I watched alien on Monday mm-hmm. and then I watched it on Tuesday and, uh, and that's fun. It is fun. Uh, it's of course, at this point I have seen not unlike jaws, I have seen alien enough times that I know musical beats. I know, uh, uh, specific line readings. Um, so it's, 
it's not that it's getting old or boring. Um, it's just that it is now becoming very much a part of me. Uh, but one of the reasons that I wanted to such an extent that I, part of me is like, I've seen alien so many times. Why would I even include it in this discussion? But, um, you know, it's always interesting to, to take a film that you've seen a million times. And even, even though you, readily acknowledge that all of these various elements are amazing. Uh, sometimes like when you watch it, the, th- the 35th time, something really sticks out to you. Not that it uh-huh. didn't before. Ian Holm is so great in that movie because he does this. And I think I, I may have said, said something like this before, but he has to play who his character is. We don't know who his character is. He, and yet he has to, he essentially has to hint at this without us ever assuming that it was going to go that way. But it's the kind of thing that when you think back on the character, certainly if you rewatch the movie, but let's say you just, you watch it just the once and you think back on it, suddenly not only do his actions mm-hmm. di- is indicate who, what he really is, but also the way he carries himself, the way he looks at other people, the way he dresses. Um, cause I was talking with, uh, my students cause we were talking about visual design, which incorporates art direction and various other things. And so I was talking about costume as an extension of character. He's like the only guy that's in uniform the mm. whole time. Um, and it's because, uh, A, he's the science officer, so it makes sense that he would dress that way. But if if the way you dress is an extension of who you are, the fact that he only ever sticks to what he's supposed to wear should speak volumes about yeah. who he is or more specifically what he is. So that's like that's a visual and costume choice. But his uh, his performance, like the way he just when Kane has gotten the face hugger off and they're all eating and the chest burster is not coming out yet, but, uh, everyone's kind of laughing and you even see Ash kind of chuckling a little bit. And then he just dips his head just a little bit and just stares at John hurt. Mm -hmm. And it's this, he doesn't know necessarily what's going to happen, but he's like, this isn't over. Right. How could this be over? Um, and so it's just little things like that. And the idea that, um, that when he is finally confronting Ripley or I guess she's confronting him and she starts to cry and like the, he look, he like backs away from her, not unlike the way the cat backs away from the alien, which is like, I don't know how to process mm. what you are doing. And so I, I love the film in general. I love all aspects of it. And I, this is not the first time I've talked about how great Ian home is, but he has a really hard job to do. Um, because, he can't he can't telegraph and yet at the same time when you watch it you realize like of course of course he's a robot spoilers <laughs> um and so uh so yeah i mean it's i i don't mean to imply that it's the the only good part of alien or even it's that it's the best part of alien but it's just something that really st- stuck out to me yeah. that like man he is he fully under like when he's in the background, when he's, when the story is very much about him in that moment, like he is always in character as a guy who is not a guy. And I, I love it. Um, yeah. When you watch him, when you see a movie that many times you can afford to just focus on one. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard of this podcast that it's called like, it's called like the worst idea ever or something where they Mm -hmm. watch, Every year they pick a movie and watch the same movie every week. Yes. And it's a bad, like the first year it was Grown Ups 2. They're onto something else now. Yeah, I have heard about, about it. Yes. I heard I, about I've it when it was Grown Ups 2. Yeah. Whew. Yeah, it sounds awful. I mean, the podcast sounds great. It sounds like an awful thing to do to yourself. Yes. Uh, all right. I've got a couple more movies uh, that I watched. What were they? So um, I'll tell you. La- okay. Last night I saw, uh, this one's also coming out very soon, um, a documentary called The Brink which is a documentary oh. about Steve Bannon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's directed by Alison Clayman, who also made a, a documentary, I guess like, well, over five years ago and almost a decade ago now about the Chinese artist. Ai Weiwei, I think is how you can say oh, his okay, name, yeah. who has gone on to make films, including, mm-hmm. uh, or he made the film human flow like two years ago. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's not important. That's, that's just what I know her name from. Uh, and this is a movie that follows, Steve Bannon roughly from the time that he was fired from the white house Mm -hmm. through November of 2018 through the midterms. Okay. Um, 
and that he spent that time doing some sort of organizing and and uh campaigning i guess he doesn't endorse people i learned i didn't know that he doesn't endorse uh (laughs) candidates Hmm. but um he campaigns for platforms i guess uh he did some campaigning for for the the u.s midterms but spent most of that time organizing a european coalition of uh populist nationalists as he as he calls them um and so a lot of the movie takes place in um places like venice yeah a huge part of it takes place in venice and in i think london and uh uh, uh, all over europe Mm -hmm. um and the movie's pretty fascinating just the level of access and how unguarded he seems but i sort of start to realize that Like, I don't think he's, I don't think Steve Bannon is stupid, but I also don't think he's especially smart. And I think he is also someone who, like many of us, and maybe you could say this is what the movie depicts, surrounds himself with people who agree with him so much that he actually doesn't know, he doesn't understand what people who oppose him actually believe and doesn't know how to talk to them like there's a couple parts where people do confront him like i'm not a political expert right but people confront him on things that i would feel comfortable confronting. like i don't need to you know there's just certain things like um about president trump saying that there are very fine people on both sides of the charlottesville rally sure or about the idea that clearly people see the word globalist or see the attacks on george soros as being Mm anti-semitic and he he's like oh this is tough like he's acting like he he, like he doesn't know how to Hmm. react like these are very baseline arguments. like i'm not uh, like this doesn't seem like a guy who could dismantle your argument because i don't think he comes up against people who disagree with him very often. This is going to sound weird uh, because the guy I'm about to talk about is very smart, uh, and that's Bill Nye. Uh, that's a science guy, oh, by the way. Oh, right. um, And, yeah, I mean, he's clearly very knowledgeable about, about some things, but whenever I've heard him, and not that I'm looking to get into an abortion discussion, but whenever he talks about abortion and he brings up like his analogies and stuff. I was like, you really don't understand what the other people, what the other side, I, I what think, their objection is. I think that's true of most people on both sides. I don't think that's specific to Bill Nye. That's, right. that's a, the, I think one of the main reasons there's so much divisiveness and so much of an impasse on abortion yeah. is because the two sides are having literally having different conversations. It's just like you hate women. You want to kill babies. Oh, good God. Um, um hang on. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it, and it's, it's one of the things that, it, you know, I count myself, uh, lucky that I went to the college that I did and that I know the people that I do because I feel like, uh, to the to the extent that I have the conversations, which is not often or always, um, I feel like I at least have a, a solid idea of where the other side is coming from and what they want. Yeah, then that, that's. Um, uh, I would say to go back to the brink. Um, it's not a movie that feels out to get Steve Bannon, mm-hmm. but it's also not a movie that feels. It's not a puff piece at all. In fact. It mostly like the fact that it starts with him getting fired and ends with um, Democrats taking back the House. It yeah. is a movie that chronicles a year and a half or so of failure after failure in his life, right? And it doesn't really ask you to sympathize or to feel bad for him, yeah. but it 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 stays with him. Uh, another thing I'll bring he is up: he's a fascinating figure. And, um, I mean, but I feel like watching this reasons, movie, I feel less fascinated by him. Oh, and he's just like, a lot more mundane. Yeah, yeah. Um, although I forgot to tell, um, I forgot to tell my wife when I got home that he has the same brand of apple cider, cider vinegar that she uses. <laughs> so he's, he, he and my wife are kindred spirits when yeah, it comes yeah. to, uh, health nut trends. She's uh, just like, you know what? That humanizes <laughs> him a little bit to me. Uh, there's another part cause, uh, I, I often wonder, sometimes I feel like, am I, am I too hard on the movies that I agree with? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I just said it about vice and about yeah. like uh, Peter Lou, like often. And I think part of it is the fact that I live in a liberal 
city and yeah. tend to see movies with Los Angeles film critics who were also a very, a li- very liberal sure. set. Um, and there was a thing that, uh, it didn't like upset me or anything, but I kind of need to go, huh? In the movie where there's, and I can't remember who it is. It's a guy who works with Steve Bannon, but it's when there were, uh, when that, um, that guy was sending, uh, um, mail bombs to to George Soros and to uh, President Obama and a a bunch of other people. And this guy um, that works with Steve Bannon was saying it's it's something he's like, it seems suspicious to me. I feel like, I don't know if this is real or not. And the director's like, why? And he said, and he goes, well, because all the targets are lefties and usually it's the left who gets violent. And the people in the theater laughed, but then he, he's like, you know, he's like mentions the weather underground and, and, and right. something else. And then he goes, he goes, there's no one on our side like that except for maybe Tim McVeigh, but he's a nut. He's not one of us. Right. And it made me realize that we do both sides do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You see the crazy people on the other side is being representative of the other side. You see the right. crazy people on your side is being, you know, like the guy who shot up the congressional baseball practice right. or the guy was it, in Dallas where those cops got shot by someone who claimed to represent black lives matter yeah. or like, like, uh, people on my side, I'm gu- I'm just guilty of it. Tend to be like, uh, well, that's not us. That guy's clearly crazy. Right. But then we do the same thing, <laughs> you know, when we say like this guy who sent these mail bombs is also clearly crazy. Yeah. But we say, no, he's a part of the problem. He he represents yes um, the MAGA mindset taken to its logical extreme. Right, and he's uh, simply it, he's simply hewing to a set of beliefs. Yeah, that's how that's how we yeah yes. that's how we see. It. And so this guy and I, again I can't remember his name who worked with Steve Bannon is obviously uh, to say something like that obviously has his head up his ass. But then I also I started to I, I felt like these people in the theater who were laughing at that maybe they have their heads up their asses a little bit too. Yeah. I mean, it's in some cases, the key is like, okay, the, it's interesting that, that the guy mentioned it, but like, like the, it's all, all of his examples are from the past. Yeah. I can't remember like, the other one. Notably was, in the past. Yeah. The weather underground was, yeah. that's a, a while ago. Yeah. And you might as well go back to the, uh, LA times building bombing in 1915 or whatever. Absolutely. I don't remember. <laughs> but it was, a uh, uh, pro-labor, uh, okay. militaristic <laughs> extremist pro-labor, yeah. uh, force who bombed the LA times because the LA times now is seen as a, a bit more of a left-wing, okay. uh, paper, but that's fairly recent, like seventies, mm-hmm. eighties, the, Daily Times was a right wing is very pro business anti labor paper for most of its time, most of its existence. That's strange to think about. Yeah, it just had to do with the family that owned it. I think, and it makes me wonder if, if you know, if somebody is thinking, and it 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 really speaks to how much in the way that you and I, when we talk about like a recent album by like nine inch nails, we'll talk about something that's 15 years old because, right. yeah. you know, and in the same way, like it's like, Oh, only the lefties are the ones like, well, I mean, if you're, if you're thinking in terms of the weather, like you're clearly thinking solely in terms of the sixties and seventies right. and with the right wing, the nineties at the latest, I guess. Yeah. That's as far as he goes. Like, not, not something like this guy or the, also, and I can't remember actually in the, the timeline, the, um, the terrible shooting in Pennsylvania at the synagogue. I think that might have not, have not been until after okay. the mail bomb. I can't feels remember more recent, than, but that yeah. also happens during the filming of, yeah. of the movie. Um, uh, anyway, it's a really fascinating movie. It didn't like piss me off as much as I thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also didn't, um, uh, you know, give, I, it didn't give me that much schadenfreude either. It's, uh, I would say for the most part, it, it gets more hard hitting as it goes on as things like sure. these, these violent acts, um, pop up. Um, and as he becomes more and more entrenched, it becomes like his insistence against, repeated evidence that nationalist does not have anti-Semitic undertones becomes desperate actually, as it goes on, it becomes pathetic. But I would say for most of, 
or at least for about the first hour, 45 minutes to an hour, because it eases into that kind of stuff. The movie just seems more like a portrait of a guy with a particularly unusual job, <laughs> you know, and it just sort of eases into uh, the fact that this job has real world. Uh, you know, yeah, a perfect example of this is we see this meeting. Uh, I think it's in London. It might have been in Paris, but it's with European nationalist populist uh, politicians from all over the continent are coming to this meeting that that um, Steve Bannon has uh, has put together. So we're seeing it as just sort of a normal, n- not normal. They're still saying some stuff that I think is pretty harsh when it comes to immigration and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's just you know we're just seeing these as politicians, and Steve Bannon is a politician. And then le- much later in the movie, he's interview he's interviewed by a a, 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 a very hard hitting you know journalist. Um, who starts mentioning, well, how did, how come you met with this guy from France who has said this horribly racist thing? Or how, how come you, you met with this guy from Sweden who has been disowned by his own party mm-hmm. for the things he said? And they cut, Alison Klinger cuts back to this thing that we saw 40 minutes ago as just normal. And, and suddenly these, you know, dorky politician types, suddenly you realize oh. they're a lot more sinister than they were presented in this sort of safe, uh, right. uh, what sort of looking for. Um, quotidian, I guess, oh. uh, setting. Uh, that is not the word I was. Th- <laughs> I thought you were going to say. Um, you know the way you describe it because I, I did get a, a, an email actually from the publicist, uh, like inviting me to a, a a screening, and I was just like, I f- I do find Bannon to be kind of fascinating, but what you just said further because I think it was I think Scott and Julie were over and we were talking about casting Steve Bannon in a movie uh-huh. and I didn't come up with it then but I think I've got somebody now but I thought now nah, maybe he's not right but the more you talk about it the more I think that Joel Murray oh yeah would be That'd like be a good one he looks yeah. like him but also just like playing a guy who's who can he's very good at playing kind of dopes uh but but not complete idiots you know like his character in mad men he's not a dumb guy um he's just not particularly brilliant he's just kind of in the right place at the right time and good at certain things and so i feel like uh there's your if you you if you make a movie there's your steve bannon all right the other movie i watched is a 1980 movie but if you live in uh certain cities uh starting (laughs) starting this weekend over the next couple weeks in the u.s you will be among the first Americans to get to see it. It has never been released in the U S before. Uh, it's called Babylon and it is a movie, uh, that takes place in a very specific subculture of the London sort of, uh, uh, Jamaican immigrant or second generation, uh, Jamaican, um, reggae sound system scene, which is Mm -hmm. parties where different DJs or MCs or groups, who are referred to as sound systems have their own, have their own names. It's like, it's like a, they're like battle of the bands, except it's, it's somewhere between a battle of the bands and a rap battle. They're playing music and you go to see the certain sound system. Anyway, um, it's set in that scene. Uh, and it, it is a, a new restoration, uh, supervised by the director of photography, who's Chris Menges or Menges who shot the killing fields. And, okay, yeah. um, uh, he also did uh, The Mission, which I never saw, uh, but that's supposed, supposed to be a beautiful movie. Um, it is, and the music's very good. Uh, I don't love it beyond that. Okay. Um, uh, and also, very importantly, commissioned brand new subtitles, because this movie takes place largely in Jamaican Patois. Oh. And it is, I'm so glad there are subtitles, because it is impenetrable to me. Yeah. Um, it's like uh, one of those, like, super Irish movies where like, Oh, right. I recognize that you are speaking the language I speak. And yet somehow, yeah, I remember when I saw the first, when I saw Ken Loach's sweet 16, which Mm. takes place in like the Midlands, uh, like, you know, Northern England, I guess. And it has subtitles and I was glad for it because I have no idea what they're saying. Um, uh, anyway, um, so yeah, Babylon is, uh, uh, it's really Chris Menges is really beautiful, but not in an ostentatious way. It's a very sort of uh, stark, very urban uh, uh, photography, but um, really striking. Um, and 
I think it, uh, in, in terms of a movie about a subculture, I think it's up there with some of the better ones like suburbia. Um, uh, and, and, and it, it also does a great job of getting, uh, across something, um, that I hadn't really thought about before, but this way that like within a big city, a niche enough subculture can come to feel like a sort of like a liminal small town within the big city. Mm-hmm. Like these guys live in this huge city, like, you know, most popular city in England. Um, and yet they only really seem to interact with each other. You see, other people, mostly white people in the background, you know, sometimes, um, uh, being, uh, annoyed or shocked or puzzled by the loud music or whatever. Um, but then as things go on, the movie becomes more specifically about how difficult it is for, um, these guys and the, the main character, his name is blue, uh, specifically in the face of the, uh, what was then the national front, the right wing racist, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. movement and just everyday racism from, uh, neighbors who aren't content to say, turn down the music. They have to say, turn on the music and go back to your country. Uh, in which case, like I said, these guys are like second, second immigration or, or more like this. It is their country. They're in their Mm -hmm. country. Um, and that's something that one of the characters named beefy, they all have fun nicknames. There's, there's blue and there's beefy and there's lover boy, which in the Patois is more like lover boy. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't do it right, but it's, um, uh, there's dreadhead. There's a bunch of them. Um, which dreadhead like could sure apply to ninja, half of them. Are you sure these aren't Ninja turtle villains? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and so the movie goes from being, uh, a kind of very, uh, hip, not necessarily fun, but hip and cool hangout movie and being very good at that to becoming increasingly, increasingly dangerous, Mm -hmm. uh, for, for blue. Um, I think maybe the third act, um, suffers a little bit too much from, from the melodrama. Uh, and it could be the fact that the filmmakers are white. Um, uh, and, and they're maybe leaning on it a little heavy mm-hmm. um, to because they think they're doing some good in some way. Maybe they are. I don't know. I don't want to be dismissive. Um, but uh, it's a really cool movie, and definitely if it's playing in your city, look it up. Go see it because this new uh, this new restoration uh, is really good. It's really beautiful for a movie that takes place in such a grimy urban setting mm-hmm. you know it's it's rare to think of beautiful cinematography as uh, as being something so mundane yeah. but it can happen uh now real quick uh you you used a phrase that has sent my mind racing um okay. in this sp- i don't know how to make it work but i'm going to really try uh, in the spirit of that game, uh, fuck, Mary kill. Oh, okay. Um, annoyed, shocked, puzzled. Um, I'm trying to think like, okay. So <laughs> because I realize like that's usually my reaction to most things. One of them, yeah. uh, sometimes a combination. So I'm trying to think like, okay, so what three things would you present to somebody to be like, all right, annoyed, shocked, puzzled. Uh, so I'm trying to think what it would be, but okay. okay. Um, uh, oh, hold on. I had one, um, but I can't remember now. Okay. Uh, okay. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel winning a Golden Globe. Okay. Casey Musgraves album winning a Grammy. Okay. Green Book winning the Oscar. Okay. Annoyed, shocked, puzzled. Um, I'm going to say Green Book annoyed. Okay. Um, Casey Musgrave, I'm going to say uh, puzzled because I can't place who that is. Okay, and then uh, what was the last one? I, I marvelous Mrs. Maisel winning a Golden Globe. I was trying to think of a TV show. I'm shocked, shocked. I'm so like out of touch with TV these days that I couldn't even remember what won the Emmy. Oh yeah, I because it wasn't Game of because there, there was no Game of Thrones this year, right? I don't know. I don't know. Speaking of Game of Thrones, it comes back. Yeah. In April, I think, or maybe the end of this month, it can't be over soon enough for me. It not it hasn't even come back yet, and I'm already so sick of hearing about Game of Thrones. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I I don't watch it at all, but I was on Twitter and like the number of people talking about it, linking to the trailer and stuff. I was like, hey, you know, I'm sure this is a big deal for you. 
Yeah. At the same time, like when, when my favorite shows come back, I don't post about that. Yeah. You know, because it's a community thing. I guess that's true. But, uh, I guess that's just the fact that, so if it were a show, like what's a show that I've never watched that's popular, uh, the big know. bang theory, <laughs> maybe a show that has more of a, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I can't think of a show that is popular. That's how out of touch I am. I can't think of what pop Westworld. There we go. If people are doing this about Westworld, I don't care because I don't have any connection. Right. Whereas game of Thrones, I watched it for five years until it sucked too hard for me to keep going. Okay. And so now I'm just like, how is this still, how do people, how do people still care so much yeah. about this show that look, I'm the definitive authority here and I decided it sucked in season five. <laughs> Why are all these people still caring about Game of Thrones? Yeah, it's uh, I think it's because it because there are time there are years when it's not there. Like I've I've been fascinated that people give more than one shit, uh, which is my other podcast, obviously, (laughs) um, about Walking Dead, where it just especially because it's like they were splitting up seasons. But it was it essentially has always been on it's it there's never been there are times when it's like it feels as though there's only been maybe three weeks between it not being on yeah. and it being on. it always seemed and again this is probably because i wasn't following it but it seemed like like oh the finale i thought it just came back people were yeah. just talking about the premiere what's yeah, going stuff, on here yeah stuff uh <laughs> Well, a because we're getting older, and also B because we're not paying attention to the show. It, yeah, like I just uh, American Gods is back, and I just read today that it's been like two years between free season one and two. I didn't oh, wow. even realize because I, I thought American Gods was canceled. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the one show, aside from you know Survivor, but putting that aside, like the one scripted show that I really actually the only one I really care about is probably Silicon Valley. I'm oh, always yeah, excited yeah. when that comes back. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that one. I like Atlanta, which won't be back for a while. Right. I like The Good Place. I guess I like just like comedies now. I don't really watch any dramas. I watched The Deuce, but it, season two sucked. Yeah. Um, anyway, did you have another movie? Did you really talk I do about? have one oh, okay. more, uh, but I will say, listeners, if you have any suggestions for, what is it? Uh, annoyed, annoyed, shocked, shocked or puzzled, puzzled um, please put them in the comments, because I'm, I'm, I really want to make this catch on. Okay, uh, my last film is a rewatch, though I have not seen it in probably well over 15 years, um, and that is Ingmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal, which uh, we watched in my world cinema class. Um, so anybody that is keeping track, uh, the films that we have watched are The Great Train Robbery, uh, Trip to the Moon, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, Battleship Potemkin, um, let's see, what was it? Uh, Rules, of the, Rules of the Game, Bicycle Thieves, Late Spring, The Hidden Fortress, and now The Seventh Seal. So again, it's world cinema. I did... I kicked things off with an American film, Great Train Robbery, but that was essentially it. So, uh, and and I guess I shouldn't be surprised because I did ask the kids this week. Like, I went movie by movie. Like, raise your hand. Which one is your favorite? I mean, by a huge margin, it's Hidden Fortress. Oh, um, which I it's guess an action. Movie it's an action movie, and honestly, I guess I shouldn't be surprised when it's like kurosawa heavily influenced by western sensibilities and so anyway um but yeah i haven't seen i hadn't seen seven seal in in years and i just adore it i i feel like it's it's incredibly watchable i think it's shot in a surprisingly more so than i remembered a very straightforward way um and shot in an almost matter of fact kind of way despite dealing heavily in allegory and symbolism and so i could see people saying like oh that movie really confused me it's like but it's not the making of it that confuses you it's just the types of things that the characters are dealing with um and it's just uh and yet in the midst of it dealing in some very heavy stuff and dealing in very heavy symbols uh it is also kind of funny it's more than kind of it's funny. more like, than kind the, of funny yeah i feel like the pe- people's idea of bergman it wasn't i came late to bergman mm-hmm. so the idea like you're talking about it, it's heavy it's about death it's yeah. full of allegory people are imagining 
uh, a certain kind of movie. Yeah. Um, and I want to tell them, no, you're imagining Alain Rene movies. <laughs> Ingmar Bergman movies are actually uh, often very, very warm. Yeah. And, and funny. Yeah. And even wild strawberries, which is a very pensive mm-hmm. movie has a lot of, warmth and humanity to it. I think that's something that people don't, yeah. uh, people who aren't familiar with Bergman don't attribute to him. Well, and I do think that his films can be intellectualized so much that I think people see them solely as that. Um, but I do think that there's a heart to his films. Um, and there's this, there's a wonderful scene in uh, seven seal in which I, <laughs> I laughed aloud the, the kids weren't. So I probably looked like just the biggest nerd. Uh-huh. Um, like, ah, no. Um, in which, uh, I don't remember. I don't remember any of the characters names are all, you know, Swedish. Yeah. Um, in which, uh, a yeah, there's probably a spin in there. Did at I least tell you one. about that? Do you remember that series? Welcome to Sweden with, uh, um, uh, Greg Poehler, Amy Poehler's brother. Yes. Based yes. on his real life of moving to yeah, Sweden. I didn't see it, but I heard good things. Uh, the second season before it got canceled, unfortunately, was really coming together, including a multi-episode guest arc by Nev Campbell, who played a consultant who was uh, brought into the bank where uh, Greg Puller's uh, girlfriend worked to to to, to sort of uh, spike the business to mm-hmm. you know, and um, she keeps <laughs> she keeps using the name Sven as an example for like, you don't want to be like boring old Sven who does this and this. And the boss keeps having to say to one of the guys in the meeting room in Swedish, again, she's not talking about you, Sven. This is a fictional Sven. (laughs) That's funny. Uh, yeah, it's a very funny bit. Um, and so I always, because of that, my go-to Swedish name now is, is Sven. There is a, so there is a moment where a, a drunken guy is, is, uh, who I think is just like a, a blacksmith or something, just a laborer. And he's, he's threatening, uh, an actor. And then the actor says, Oh, please. No, I, I, I would welcome you to kill me. I would love it. And then the, the Smith is just like, he goes, well, not if you're going to be like that. <laughs> and then, and then the actor says like, no, this is what I want. So he gets his own knife and walks away and plunges it into his own heart and, and lays down and dies. And everyone's just looking like, Oh, just like really sad. And they walk away. And of course the actors has used his own stage mm-hmm. knife. And, and so like he looks off and he goes, Oh, I am quite the actor. <laughs> and it's just, it's, that's what I laughed at. Yeah. And, uh, just that bit of, again, a very matter of fact, yeah. uh, humorous line. 